So I mentioned that today is Palm Sunday, which is a day that we remember and commemorate this week leading up to Easter. So maybe as you are leading up to Easter and your week this week that you might participate in some way with some Easter celebration. I was uh, wanting to share this little gem of a photo with you from this is little Tommy with the Easter money. Um, that's me and my older sister there. Apparently, there's this really scary bunny costume. And I had the just ability to smile. Uh, I'm really proud of myself on that photo there. Um, I, I just I, I look at it today and I'm a little terrified of the scary bunny. Um, and you may think that I was a brave kid. I was really probably not as brave as I imagine. Uh, I was probably just your typical suburban kid uh, who allowed his mother to take pictures holding hands with his sisters. So here's another photo. That's just me. Typical Easter picture. You get my younger sister in that photo who's sitting in here today. Um, so, uh, you know, there was a time when I was nice to you, Anna. It was probably because mom made us uh, do that. And I uh, just sat there and did that. Maybe you've been in Easter photos already. Maybe that's something that you're planning. Maybe you have visited to see an Easter egg hunt. I don't know what your Easter week looks like. That was mine. I was a typical kid just growing up in suburbia, and I like to think of myself as being this big, brave guy, but the truth is I was quite ordinary, and so when I read a passage like what we read today that has all this stuff about animal sacrifice, and I'd love to tell you that I'm brave and that that's okay for me, the reality is that it kind of weirds me out. Uh, I didn't grow up hunting. That I was not the, a farmer and uh, I was, you know, the closest I got to that was using a BB gun on a squirrel and the squirrel just like laughed at me. It didn't do anything. And, you know, I also had this moment with the slingshot and the bird uh, and the bird did die. And I'll just I mean, I'll tell you right now, I, I cried like at that bird dying like that was me as a kid. Um, and so I was not good with death of animals. And I was talking this week with Tyson, who's our Greenville campus pastor, and we were sharing these stories with one another and realizing that both of us are similar and that we don't do well with the death of an animal, much less one that that would be slaughtered. And so we're looking at this passage and we're thinking, this is not our thing. I remember, uh, you know, going and, and spending some time in Kenya a couple years ago. It's actually 2015 now, four years ago, um, in the summer with a group of people on a mission trip. The missionaries that we visited sat right here on this third row just last week, and uh, we, got, we bought this goat that was for the village that we were visiting, the Maasai tribe, and we, um, it was like this big deal for us to do that, and so they were all excited. We took it to the edge of camp, and the goat was to be eaten and shared with the village, and they slaughtered that goat right there on the edge of camp. I have a whole series of photos of that process, and I was like, I can't show that. That's really just like our group was horrified at this process. I've not watched that before. I know as I say some of that, you farmers, you're laughing at me. You're thinking, what is this guy? I'm losing respect for him. Listen, I, I understand some stuff here, like bacon doesn't grow on trees. I get that. My grandmother's from Greece. Lamb is my favorite meal. Okay, so like, give me a little bit of credit, but what I need you to know is that it wasn't just me. Our whole group was a little weirded out at this slaughter of this animal, and so I was thinking about that this week. And we're approaching this passage here where it's talking about the slaughter of a lamb, and I wondered if, if many of you might react like I did, and you think about that, and you're a little weirded out 
that there's this lamb that's being slaughtered. And you read these passages in our in the Bible and you think about the blood. I'm not interested in talking about that. And we come to a passage. It's easy for us, if you're like me, it's easy for us to zone out and to miss something that's really important. Our culture is a little different. The Jews back then, they didn't shop at Publix. And you may notice, you may think about this, you read that in your Bible and you think, you know, they don't, they don't really kill anything when I'm at First Christian Church, like in their service. They don't do that. And so you wonder about that. And that confusion might cause us to miss something precious today. I prayed all week. I prayed all week that this hurdle wouldn't be something for you that causes you to miss the gem, the Easter egg, the treasure that is in our passage today. It's the focus of what we're going to talk about. It's the title of the message. It's that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. I want to admit for you that it's easy for me to zone out and to be disconnected. But I would encourage you, if you're like me, to zoom in, to be willing to hear. This is something, this is is a cool Easter egg that we get to look at today. It's one of the first connections that the gospel writers made between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They caught it right away. God made sure of it. And so when we read in Exodus 12, when we read of this, there's some, a, cool, a cool story for us to put together. I want to give a little bit of background. We already read the passage, but the background in Exodus 12 is that this is a part of the Passover. The nation of Israel has become uh, uh, enslaved in Egypt. And uh, they have cried out. God has heard their cry and is bringing deliverance. And we are at this place where nine plagues have taken place. And it's about to happen. The tenth is about to happen. In fact, the chapter before Moses goes before Pharaoh and he says, I'm about to bring the tenth plague that God is going to enact this on the nation. And Pharaoh stubborn, doesn't listen. In Exodus 11, verse nine, it says that Moses, he gets angry at this. He gets mad. He's he's realizing that this is a real thing. Pharaoh, do you not realize this? And God is threatened and and said he would bring the death of the firstborn children of every household, including the one of the Pharaoh. And out of stubbornness and disobedience, Pharaoh rejects that and Moses is angry. We're going to talk about the Passover, but I don't want to jump over the weight of what's going on in this 10th plague. This is a real thing. It's something to mourn for us to casually pass off that there was a plague and it involved the death of the firstborn of every household would be to miss that this is a difficult and important passage, especially for people that often doubt God. If you've ever doubted and thought, how can God be a good God and then pain and suffering happen? There's a real difference, and I want to take just a moment to talk about this, between the biblical answer and the non-believer's answer. The non-believer would stand in judgment against God. And say, all right, God, explain yourself. Justify yourself, God. As if without God, there would be no pain or suffering. The Bible gives a different answer. The Bible looks the opposite way. The Bible looks at us and our sin. And the Bible teaches that God is holy and without blame. But we, the problem is with us and our sin. And so the Bible teaches a very different message. And we believe that. We believe the message of the Bible. It doesn't take very long. If you take a Bible and you begin just in the first pages, you would find that rebellion against God results in death. 
The very first sin in the garden with Adam and Eve resulted in the death of an animal to cover over their shame. All throughout Scripture, we see that disobedience against God and sin always brings death. Always. The problem is our sin, our rebellion against God. And the problem in Exodus 12 is that both the Egyptians and the Israelites fell into that category. This plague, the death of the firstborn, was something that both groups were facing. This was not just something for the Egyptians. You see, when we look at Scripture, we don't see God as the enemy, but we read a passage like this and we can find, if we'll allow it, for something beautiful to rise up out of it. We'll see that God is is the one that will draw us to himself by his heart, not against people, but for them. See, God is against sin, but he loves his people. And the Israelites didn't just get a free pass. You see, they were under this uh, curse as well, this threat of the death of their firstborn. But they didn't just get a free pass. What we learn and what we're focusing on is that they received a substitute. Moses is instructing the people what they're supposed to do. And he's telling them about this meal that they're going to eat. And they're acting out the story, a very real story that is taking place right in their midst. You see, God designed this whole Passover meal. And you can read about it there earlier in the chapter. God designed this whole Passover meal with lots of symbolism. It's all important, but it focuses in on the lamb. The lamb is the central element of this story. And so all those details that are important. But when God saw the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, death would pass over and the firstborn would be saved. And so the Passover took place. In verse 50 of chapter 12, it says, All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their host. You see, the obedience of the people resulted in their freedom. I think it's easy for us to look and think, oh, God just gave them a free pass. But like if you even remember why they were slaves at all, you remember uh, this story of how Joseph's brothers in jealousy sold him into slavery and God protected him and caused him to prosper. And then his brothers ended up by all these crazy things to come and say, hey, we need your help. And then God brought them up and and then uh, they rose up again as a nation. And then you see, while they were in Egypt, they they actually ended up there. Because of their sin. But then they didn't fix it while they were there. You see, even there they began to worship the the gods of the Egyptians. They were a sinful and stubborn people. And here's the point. It's not their actions that resulted in God bringing them to freedom. What saved them from death? The Israelites were commanded to slaughter a lamb. And there was no way to do this without the shedding of blood. The blood signified to the Israelites that there was a substitute that had been provided, a lamb that had died in their place. And once that lamb was chosen, it stayed in the house. They kept it inside for four days and, uh, and it was with the family and they cared for it and they, and they nurtured it and kept it safe. And they would say, this is our Passover lamb. And then... It was slaughtered. This was messy. It was bloody. 
And so on that first Passover, as the Israelites are huddling in their homes, they're waiting for God to come to judgment. They're waiting for this to happen, this night when, it, when God would claim the life of every, of the firstborn of every household. They're in their homes. They can hear the screams, most likely, of those who are realizing and mourning the death of their firstborn. But the children of God were saved because of the blood of the Lamb. Death had passed over. The ransom was paid by the blood. You see, the destroyer would come to the house of an Israelite, would look and would see the blood on the door. And when he looked at it, when he looked at the blood, he would say, someone has died in this house. The penalty has been executed. To use a technical term for what went on, it's propitiation, which means that the wrath of God had been turned away. The doorpost put blood in between God and the sinner. I love how D.A. Carson illustrates this moment. He tells this story. It's a made-up story, but I love how it illustrates this. This is what he says. He says, picture two Jews. Two Jews, maybe their names are Smith and Brown. You know, that's Jewish names. Uh, Before the Passover, they're having this discussion, and Smith says to Brown, he says, boy, are you a little nervous about what's about to happen tonight? And Brown says, well, I mean, God told us what to do through the servant Moses. You don't have to be nervous. Haven't you slaughtered the lamb and you took the blood and you daubed it on the doorpost and you put some on the lintel? Haven't you done all that? Are you packed? Are you ready to go? Are you going to eat the whole meal with your family? Well, of course I've done that. I'm not stupid. But it's still pretty scary when you think about what's going on. There's been... The river of blood and flies. I mean, it's pretty awful stuff that's been going on. And now there's this threat of the firstborn. And, you know, it's all right for you because you've got three sons, but I've just got one. And I've just got my Charlie and and he's precious to me. So I'm a little nervous. I'll be glad when this night's over. The other one responds, bring it on. I trust in the promises of God. And that night, the angel swept through the land. Which one lost? His son. Well, the answer, of course, is neither. Because death doesn't pass over them because of the intensity or the clarity of their faith. But on the ground of the blood of the Lamb, that's what, that's what silenced the accuser. You know, I've never noticed that until this week. When I was studying this, they had not yet seen their freedom. And they were instructed to do this. Moses is giving them the instructions and they can't yet see the reality. How astounding is this that they've not yet been freed and not yet seen victory. But he wants them to celebrate it still. The victory from slavery and difficulty, even though it's not yet happened. Why? Because it would point to the blood of the Lamb. It would point forward. 
And then year after year after year, the people would again repeat this meal as a reminder of what God had done and to point towards something that was better. Over the centuries, this Passover was, was, was repeated perhaps millions of times. According to Josephus, who's a historian, he says that several hundred thousand lambs were herded through the streets of Jerusalem every Passover. And yet not the blood of every one of those could atone for sin. In Hebrews, in our New Testament, we read, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. What was needed was a better sacrifice. The offering of blood that was more precious. And so on Palm Sunday, the significance of this day and this time, oh, it was important that Jesus was crucified during Passover week. Today is the day where Jesus made His triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Palm branches were waved and shouts were given. This was also the day that the Passover lambs were driven into the city. And then Christ went to the cross. Late on the afternoon, on the eve of Passover, at twilight that night, The lambs would be sacrificed by every household according to the law of Moses. And all over the city, fathers were getting ready. They were making preparation for the lamb that was being prepared to atone for the sin of their home and for Israel. And then there was Jesus hanging on the cross. John chapter 19, verse 28 says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put the sponge to uh, they put the sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Do you recall hyssop from Exodus chapter 12? We're supposed to find that it's there on purpose. It was significant that Jesus was crucified at the time of the Passover feast. Verse 30, when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. And since it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that the legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. The the breaking of the leg was simply a way to speed up death. But the soldiers came and they broke the legs of those on either side of Jesus. And then they came to find that Jesus was already dead. And just to be sure of it, they pierced him with a spear and blood and water poured out of his side. And we remember the instructions in Exodus 12 that they didn't have to break the legs of Jesus because they were instructed not to break the bones of the Passover lamb in chapter 12 of Exodus. It is significant that Jesus was crucified at the time of the Passover feast. This was the first connection that people saw between the Old and the New Testament. It was an Easter egg, yes, but God didn't want them to miss this. That Jesus is the Passover Lamb. We talk about Him all the time as Savior, as Teacher, but we'd rather not talk about His blood. We're not comfortable with that. It weirds us out. But we can learn so much from the blood of Jesus. You see, just like the Israelites, we are under a sentence of death because of our sins. In Romans 3 and Romans 6, it tells us that we've all sinned and that we deserve death. 
we need a Passover lamb just as much as they did. And Jesus shed his blood on the cross for our sins so that our blood would not be required. Scripture explains the meaning of this. It says that we have been justified by his blood in Romans chapter 5, verse 9. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, Ephesians 1, verse 7. Jesus also suffered to make the people holy through his own blood, Hebrews 13, verse 12. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. The reason about all this talk of blood is really simple. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says, Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And therefore, if we are to be saved, we need the blood of a perfect substitute to intercede, intercede between us and our holy God. We have a sign, and that sign is the blood of Christ. When we look up at the cross and we see it stained with the blood of our Savior, we know that payment has been made for our sin. And when God looks down on the cross and He sees the blood of His Son, He says, it is enough. My justice has been satisfied. The price for sin is fully paid. Death will pass over you, and you will be safe. The only way... To be saved is by the blood of the Lamb of God. Everyone who calls on the power of Jesus' blood will be saved. The Israelites did this. They trusted in the blood of the Lamb. For them to even put it on the door was an act of their faith in the words that God would proclaim to them ahead of time through Moses. That they were saved, as Hebrews even tells us, they were saved by grace through faith. God provided the substitute and they made a declaration publicly that they believed in that. And we need a Passover lamb just as much as they did. I think about that story of those two Jews. I think about how many times I find myself perhaps doubting and wondering. I find myself faced with God again, struggling with the same sin that I've struggled with for decades. What am I going to say? I tried really hard, God. I did my best. It was a bad moment. No. We have an argument. We, have, we need no other argument, no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died He died for you. He died for me. We have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Why do we keep making it about ourselves? How prideful we are. It's all about the Lamb. It's all about the Lamb. When we read in John 13, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father. We remember back in chapter 12 of Exodus, every man should take a lamb according to their father's houses, that Jesus was the lamb of his father's house. When we read in Hebrews 9 about the unblemished blood of Christ, we remember the unblemished blood of the lamb in Exodus chapter 12. In Hebrews 11, 28, we are reminded that it was the blood that was sprinkled 
so that the destroyer would pass over and we remember that our faith is not in ourselves, but in God's plan. And it is obedience to God's plan that results in him passing over his people in Exodus 12. We read Jesus' statement in John chapter 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you do not have eternal life. And we remember the Passover meal as the Israelites would eat the flesh of the Lamb. We read again in John chapter 19 of the hyssop branch that was held to Jesus' mouth and we remember the hyssop that was used to sprinkle the blood. We read, as John emphasizes again in chapter 19, that his bones were not broken and we remember the instructions to not break the bones of the Passover lamb. In Isaiah 53, we read that it is the Lord's will to crush his son and we remember in verse 23 that the Lord looked at the blood on the doorpost and he was pleased to slay the lamb and not his people do you get the point that it is not about you it is about the lamb at first God provided one lamb for one person and Abraham offered a ram in the place of his son Isaac and then God offered one lamb for one household and this happened in the Passover every family family would gather together and they would offer a lamb to God and then God provided one sacrifice for the whole nation on the day of atonement A single animal atoned for all the sins of Israel. And then finally the day came when John the Baptist said in John chapter 1, he saw Jesus coming towards him and he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God was planning all along that one Lamb would die for one world. By His grace and His plan, He provided that Lamb. Revelation 13.8 tells us, The Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. So when Jesus celebrates this last supper with his disciples, he says to them in Matthew chapter 26, this is my body and this is my blood. And his disciples didn't understand at the time what he was talking about. But he's really saying this Passover is about me. I am the sacrificial lamb. The Lamb that has taken away the sins of the world. And we have this meal, this Lord's Supper, to remind us of the salvation because we forget. We forget. We are stubborn. We are prone to amnesia. We need reminders of what God has done. And so I'm so thankful for the weekly reminder that we share together in communion That it is not about us, but about His blood. You see, we forget that He shed His Son's blood on the cross. And I'm so thankful that God brings me back to my senses every time that I take of the Lord's Supper. When I think of blood, I want to zone out. Because it weirds me out. When I think of sacrifice, I'm not comfortable But I don't think God put this in Scripture to make me comfortable. I think He did it to glorify Himself and to bring about salvation that had been planned for all time. We've been reading in closing with these words out of 1 Peter. Chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Let's read them once again. For you know that God paid a ransom 
to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid by mere gold or silver. Those lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Oh God, forgive us for our arrogance and thinking it was about us. Forgive us for looking the other way and claiming that it is your job to justify yourself in our eyes. God, we confess that we need a lamb just as much as they did. We need the lamb that you have provided in your son Jesus. And so we stand not under our own work this morning. We stand by the finished and complete and powerful work of the blood of your son Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Tommy did a wonderful job this morning explaining just that same thing about the bad news.